LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. In the New Testament, I believe that the word leadership is used three times, and the word disciple is used 269 times. Why don't we talk about discipleship more? Leadership and discipleship are two sides of the same coin. However, you can be a leader without being a disciple, but every disciple is called to be a leader. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, what up? how's it going, man? It's going good. So, you know, Chandler and I, we can see each other on FaceTime right now. We're trying to figure out how to, you know, non-verbally communicate to each other <laughs> while hosting a podcast from working from home during COVID. He got a new haircut. I got a new haircut. I buzzed everything off for me. So it's all gone. Chandler, looks like Allison did a great job though. I mean, she, high and tight and we on the top. It was the longest haircut of my life. I'll put it at that, but it looks good. It, it works. Allison, you, you did a great job. Don't <laughs> let anybody ever tell you differently, but no, I'm excited today. Um, I am just so excited to interview Derwin Gray. He is uh, here to have a conversation with us. I've been following Derwin for years. He's uh, partnered with Student Life Camp before. Just an awesome uh, man of God and a leader and a great preacher. But he's a former NFL football player, if you didn't know that, and the founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church in South Carolina. He also is an author of many books, including his latest, The Good Life. And before Derwin jumps in, uh, kind of nuts, Lifeway is selling it at a 50% discount right now, The Good Life. And that comes out on June 2nd. I like go get it right now. I know this is like the perfect time to get it. Just get get yeah. ready for June 2nd and buy it. But Derwin, we are so excited to have you on today. How are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. I'm honored to uh, to be with y'all. Man, uh, I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, for I've got two random notes. The, the first one, I just saw a clip on Instagram of you preaching, but you were eating a steak and a lobster. Like what? Yeah. What kind of sermon illustration is that? I want to be involved in that sermon illustration. Well, I highly recommend it. Well, so uh, <laughs> what 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 we were talking about is one of the spiritual rhythms of grace is reading scripture. And we don't read scripture to quote unquote love the Bible. We read the scripture because the Bible points to the one who loves us. Mm. And we rush through it. And the illustration was if you're eating steak and lobster, man, you want to savor, you want to enjoy, you want to marinate on it. And kind of the flip side was this. Well, when we are in the word of God, we want to slow down and enjoy it and delight in it and savor the flavor of grace. And so it was a great illustration and it was a great meal. Can't beat that. No, I, <laughs> I'll have to put that one in my back pocket. That's really good. Also, t- talk about the evangelism linebacker. What? <laughs> I have no clue what that is. Chandler put it in the notes, so I'm excited to hear about that. That is where I first learned of Derwin. Okay. Yeah, what is so this? way, way back in 2004, <laughs> which is 16 years ago, I got a call from Campus Crusade in Montana at Montana State. And they were like, hey, man, we want to do a video called The Evangelism Linebacker. We think you'd be perfect. And the idea was this linebacker would tackle people who didn't evangelize. They had no script. So when I got there, I just made stuff up like on the fly. And man, before I knew it, and this is the early days of YouTube. 
I mean, this thing exploded. So if it if if it went viral in today's world, no tell them. But back in 04, you know, going viral wasn't that big of a deal because no right. one knew what it was. But man, it had hits. It had millions of hits. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of my uh, claim to fame, the evangelism line. <laughs> it's alive and well 16 years later. If you have not checked it out, go Google it and you're going to want to check it out because it's hilarious and awesome. Well, Derwin, let's go ahead and hop in here. I'd, l- I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, your journey, kind of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that have led you to where you are today at Transformation Church. Yeah, you know, so uh, for for everyone listening, I didn't uh, I didn't grow up like in the church. And so a lot of my formative leadership was learned from my coaches um, in high school. So as a football player in high school, I played for a team called Converse Judson, which is right outside of San Antonio, Texas. And the coaches we had were incredible. What made them incredible is they lived the message that they would preach to us. And our head coach, who's in the Texas Football High School Hall of Fame, was an incredible visionary. Like he would paint a picture of the future that was just so inspiring. So from him, I learned vision, I learned hard work, I learned sacrifice, and we never talked about winning. You know how now people say, trust the process. Well, we didn't say trust the process, but we would talk about the things that led to winning versus winning itself. Then I got a football scholarship to Brigham Young University, and I played for another Hall of Fame coach, Lavelle Edwards. And so what Coach Edwards done so well is he was innovative but he was also one who would delegate responsibility to his coaches. And and so typically where leaders fail is we delegate task instead of delegating responsibility. Delegating a task is you do what I tell you to do. Delegating responsibility is I'm partnering with you and I believe in you Mm. to you organize, you vision cast, you develop leaders. So it's more of a developmental role. And then when I got to the NFL, I had a head coach um, by the name of Ted Marchabrota with the Colts. And uh, man, he was for the NFL. He was an incredibly kind and caring man, which is foreign in the NFL. And so I learned that players play better for you when you're kind to them and they know that you're not just using them. And then I had another coach, his name was Dom Capers. And Dom Capers is kind of known for inventing the zone blitz with Mm -hmm. Dick way back in the 90s. But the thing that I learned from Dom is systems and processes and organizational strategy. That man had every second meticulously calculated out. So those were some of my big formative understandings of leadership, vision, uh, development, delegation, and also systems, processes, and organization. That's awesome. So you were going through all of that and learning those systems and what leadership was. When in that time or, or those different stages did you realize that you were a leader? When did that thought kind of hit you in the face of, hmm, I am a leader. You know, people people follow me. Seventh grade. Uh, in seventh grade, our eighth grade basketball team was playing because the seventh graders played first and we were losing. And so I just stood up in front of the crowd <laughs> and I began to lead a cheer spelling out my middle school's name. 
And we were down by 15 and we came back and only lost by one. And my seventh grade basketball coach said, you're a leader. And that stuck in my soul. Mm. Even now, it still sticks in in my soul. Um, But I think I really, really began to see myself as a leader when in 1995, Ted Marcher Broda named me the special teams coach for uh, special teams captain for the Colts. And it hit me like, wow, man, people look to me for guidance. People look to me for direction. And then when I became a Christian, I, I always found myself in rooms and situations that brought me to the forefront to give wisdom or direction or say, hey, man, this is how I've done this. Uh, you can do it too. So in all of this, I know we're talking about how you came to realize you were a leader. Uh, I think one of my favorite parts of your story is going from an NFL football player to a pastor. Um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit of what that looked like. And what was, you know, <laughs> were there things that when you hopped into the pastoral role that you you were like, wow, I had no clue that this was going to be the case? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. You know, God, God was very gracious. Um, uh, so, like, I didn't know what call to ministry was and all that. All I knew is Jesus loved me. He forgave me, gave me a new life. He loves the world. And I'm going to share that. And the Lord began to open up opportunities that led to developing a nonprofit ministry. I would travel and speak. And then um, I started to see like, man, churches are like all white or all black or segregated. I'm like, wait a second, this just isn't right. And so as I read the New Testament, I saw that the New Testament church had Jews and Gentiles. That's a multi-ethnic church that the blood of Jesus not just forgives sins, but he brings people together of different mm-hmm. colored skins because God made a covenant with Abraham, Genesis 12, Galatians 3, 8, and the new heavens and new earth is going to be every nation, tribe, and tongue. So on earth, we're to reflect what eternity is going to be. And so I was like, man, okay, I'm ready. And I was a part of a, a church plant for two years, and I learned exactly what not to do. It was painful. <laughs> it was painful. It was humbling. But those two years of being a co-pastor at a church plant prepared me for Transformation Church. The best teacher is failure. Mm. And it's not, I mean, our church probably got up to like 225, but we were disorganized. We were disjointed. We didn't know how to handle conflict. We didn't know how to lead. Um, But in all that, that's where I learned, man, people need a vision that's rooted in the gospel. Leaders need to be developed. Authority needs to be delegated. People need to be on mission. People need to be equipped. And systems and processes and organization is important. Mm. And so when we launched Transformation Church, our first Sunday, 701 people showed up. Um, It was absolutely bananas. But those two years of being at a struggling church plant and not having a clue uh, was great training ground. I'm thankful for it. Now I can imagine. Let's just let's jump into that. So you talked about, you know, the, one of the greatest teachers is failure, which I completely agree with. Let's dive into that a little bit. What was one of your biggest mistakes as a leader getting started? So if you could go look at one of those failures, and you're like, oh man, why you got to do that to me? What's that failure? I want to hear about that. You know, how did that? <laughs> yeah. How did that set you up for success later on as a leader? 
Yeah, um, I think the first one is um, it it broke my pride. I thought that pastoring was just getting up and preaching, and it's not. Hmm. Preaching is about 5% of what I do. Um, number two, uh, internally, it helped me navigate why do I avoid conflict? Who are the people I want to please? And so God had to go grow me through that. And then number three, I had to grow in areas where I was not comfortable. Um, I had to grow in paying attention to details. I love systems and processes, but I but other p- people had done it until it was like, man, if this church plant is going to survive, I've got to organize this and I've got to delegate and I've got to, you know, teamwork truly does make the dream work. And so there were just circumstances where there were people who were incapable, incompetent, and spiritually immature for the roles that they were in, and it wasn't dealt with because of a fear of conflict. And so now, by God's grace, I run into conflict with the desire for reconciliation, with the desire for transformation, and here's why. If you don't deal with conflict on the front end and it gets toxic, on the back end, it'll be so much more expensive and more people will be hurt. Mm. Mm. That's really good. I saw a, I think it was Josh Howerton on Twitter the other day. He tweeted about basically dealing with conflict in the moment. And he was saying, many of us avoid it because we're, we're nervous of it being like an injury, but it's going to be a lingering injury if we don't touch it. But really what it is, is we need to do some surgery to remove yeah. that conflict and remove. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're saying there is there's some things that you need to remove to be healthy as an organization and um, as a church, especially. So coming into that, you said, you know, that's a, that, that was a tough thing for you to learn. I, I think it's, it's tough for all of us. We run away mm-hmm. from conflict. So for us as young leaders who, I mean, we, we really do, I, I would say almost all of us, we are nervous about conflict. We just want to lead and everything look great, but conflict, we're like, oh boy, how do we deal with this? Can you just share practically maybe an example or just a framework of how to how to deal with conflict in a healthy and godly way. Yeah, um, I would say the first thing is, is is this: is our identity has to be rooted as God's beloved. That who we are is found in all of who Christ is. Everything that I want to be is found in all of who Christ is. And so we go from confidence to godfidence. Secondly. Um, we grow. We we go to the cross. Jesus, the cross is conflict. It's it's sin. And Jesus went, despite not wanting to go. Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Thy will be done. And so Jesus goes to the cross to resolve conflict, to bring about reconciliation. So His cross is our empowerment. Um, and that's what leaders do. Leaders go into conflict for. Uh, to bring about resolution, to bring to bring about restoration, to bring about reconciliation, but also to uh, minimize the hurt and harm that can happen because of toxicness. But also be willing to receive criticism. That when you are secure in Christ, you're not above or beyond being rebuked and corrected yourself. Mm. That's a great reminder. And, and so the greater we understand the cross and Jesus making peace, the greater that we can be peacemakers. And remember, uh, uh, 
Matthew 5, um, 8, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons and daughters of God. And so peacemaking is a part of our identity and it's also our birthright because we're born into the family of the God who makes peace. And, and let me add this too. And I think this is so, so important. In the New Testament, I believe that the word leadership is used three times and the word disciple is used 269 times. Why don't we talk about discipleship more? Like, like what we say at Transformation Church is this, leadership and discipleship are two sides of the same coin. However, you can be a leader without being a disciple, but every disciple is called to be a leader. Because leadership, the way I define it, is more than influence. It's embodying what you want other people to become. And so I'm on a personal quest that we have to make leadership great again by making it more Jesus-y. <laughs> you know, I, oftentimes I feel like when I listen to leadership talks, it's devoid of anything uh, that reflects Christ. You know, it's often stuff I can hear at a at a Ted's talk or business deal. Like what I want to hear about leadership is Jesus saying, hey, you want me to show you what leadership is, guys? And the night that he was to be betrayed, he, he says, I'm going to show you what the greatest among you looks like. Because the disciples were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And so he puts on a towel and he wipes their feet. That was the act of a common servant in the Roman world. So the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the holies of holies said, you know, leadership isn't telling people what to do. Leadership is embodying what you want the world to become. And true leadership is leadership that does not lead from a position of what's in it for me. It's from a position of how can we be mobilized to be who God's called us to be? I'm so thankful that you brought that up because just, I mean, I've, I've never heard that, you know, the word leader or leadership is used three times and disciples used over 200 times. That's like such a helpful reminder to, to bring us back to what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. So from, from a pastoral perspective, can you just talk to us about how, because right now it does seem that leadership and becoming a leader is a buzzword for a lot of people, but we don't hear the practical ways to grow in our discipleship. Can, can you just talk to us right now about, hey, here's some ways. I know there's so many ways to grow in your, I'm doing air quotes, leadership, but how do I actually grow as a disciple of Christ during these young leadership years? Yeah, um, I think um, oftentimes we're ambitious for power and status instead of being ambitious for Jesus. Mm. Um, the more gifted a young leader is, the more dangerous it is for that young leader, because people will put you in positions that your character cannot sustain you. And then you have train wrecks. And over the last five years, I could list a number of my friends that I sat on the conference uh, stage with who are who are divorced or had affairs or lost their churches. Um, in my own personal devotional time, I'm reading the book of Hebrews, and I'll pr probably read it probably four or five more times within the next few months. But Hebrews 13, 7 says, you, you know, basically remember your leaders and observe their lives carefully. Look at the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. Hmm. 
oftentimes when we look at leaders, it's like, well, how big is your church? Or what have you done? What have you accomplished? My question is, do your children like you? <laughs> My question is, 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 does, do, does your wife like you? Like, like, what are you like when there's no crowd to cheer, when there's no conference to speak at, when you are alone with yourself, can you rest with who you are in the mirror because of who Christ is? And so I want to see leadership returned to the framework that Jesus puts it in, which is the framework of discipleship, particularly in America. Um, and please hear, hear my heart in this. God doesn't want us to be the CEO of the church. That's good. Like we're called shepherds. Um, we shepherd people. We we steward people. It's not a it's not a business. And Jesus is the product, and the congregation is kind of like the the waiters and servers. It's like a multi level marketing scheme. You know, you tell your friends, I tell my friends, and no, no, no. We are the church of the living God who serve under the great shepherd himself. And there's a way that we move, and a way that we be that our being is that we reflect Philippians two have the mind of Christ, you know, where Paul goes through these beautiful attributes of if there's any encouragement in his love, consider mm. others better than yourselves. Mm. Wow. Derwin, mm. that'll preach, bro. If you just want to keep going, if you just want to keep going, it's fine with us. Like we can, we'll just put ourselves on mute and you can keep rolling with it. <laughs> there's, there's a quote by H.B. Charles in his book on pastoring and I read it a few weeks ago and it stuck with me. It's exactly what you're saying. He says, lead as a pastor. You're not a CEO. You are not a business tycoon. You're not an expert in organizational leadership. You are a pastor. You are mm -hmm. a shepherd, a gospel herald. Don't abandon that sacred role for anything else or anyone. And just hearing you reiterate that, it's just really to be mindful of that and chase after the example that Jesus set. So yeah, thanks and, for that. And, and, and I think it's Im Im important that, you know, in, in Exodus, I believe, 18 or 16, Moses, his father-in-law, Jethro, tells him to delegate and organize. Um, a part of being a shepherd of sheep is you create a sheep pen. You have a sheep yeah. path. You have, you know, you have you have a, a fence for the sheep to be in. And so I'm for organizations. I'm for systems and processes. Like we wouldn't be the church that we are, the size that we are without systems and processes. I'm just saying, let the heartbeat be the gospel behind right. it. Right. Yep. Have you ever read Design to Lead, Derwin? I have. It's a great book. So, so like, I, I, a lot of what you're saying is coming back to me, and um, I'm, I've been reading that book and by Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck. But something they said has just stuck stuck in my mind and my heart for about a week now. They said, um, we do, you know, as a leader or a disciple maker, because they really equate leadership to discipleship um, or vice versa, however you want to spin it up. But they mm -hmm. were saying, we, we are not cattle drivers. We are shepherds. Mm -hmm. like, you know, we are shepherds to a flock. And man, that, that has just stuck in my mind and my heart. And I think you're really reiterating that in some different ways over and over. Yeah. So. And, and this isn't for everybody that's listening. Who, who I have in mind right now as I talk is the young gifted leader who has a chance to plant a mm -hmm. church and it blows up like overnight. Let me say this to you. Um, your church is not your fanboy club. Mm. Um, you know, um, there's nothing to boast in, but Christ alone. It's, it's Jesus's message. It's the Holy Spirit's power. Um, your gift comes from the Holy Spirit. God, the father has called you. 
And so people are not stepping stones to get a platform. Like we're not a platform. We're not a brand. We're human beings. Yeah. So like if, like if our, if our IG story does not like really match our lives, we're a fake and a fraud. And there becomes this chasm between who we are and who we want to think we are. And eventually we fall into that chasm. And the thing about falling as a pastor, you never fall alone. You bring people with you. We need to make holiness great again. Mm. The best thing that I can give Transformation Church and my family first and foremost is to be so captivated by Jesus and so receptive of his grace that holiness is the outflow. And as you guys know, holiness means to be a whole person. If you want to know what holiness looks like, it looks like the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what holiness looks like. It looks like Jesus. Like the goal isn't how many followers I got and how many books I can write. The goal is I'm conformed to the image of Christ because as I reflect the fruit of the Spirit, then God uses me to feed hungry people. Mm, That's good. Well, before we get to the next question, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor. On this podcast, we hope to equip our listeners with the best resources to help churches thrive. So if you're looking at launching a thriving church in a rented venue, I encourage you to check out the team at Portable Church. Portable Church Industries equips churches meeting in alternative venues with total solutions so you can launch strong, be reproducible, and thrive in your communities. For over 25 years, they have partnered with church planners and multi-site leaders, mastering creative, intelligent, effective, portable church solutions. So you and your team stay focused on the things that matter, building disciples. See what this looks like by visiting portablechurch.com slash lifeway. Once again, that's portablechurch.com slash lifeway. Now, back to the podcast. Darwin, let's transition a little bit. So I'm sure you are a reader and you read a ton of books. Uh, So looking back when you first started to lead, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting out? The first book I wish people would have gave me was Conformed to His Image by Ken Boa. Mm. Conformed to His Image by Ken Boa. It 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 is the best book on discipleship slash spiritual formation I've ever read. I mean, it's legendary Transformation Church. Like if I had the Bible and the one only other book, it would it would be that one. Okay. That's awesome. We need to check it out. And then and then I would I would have given them, and I don't mean this tongue in cheek because I'm an author, I would have given them my new book, The Good Life, what Jesus teaches about finding true happiness. Um, because the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most overlooked underappreciated words of Jesus himself. Like literally the word blessed, makuros, makros, I believe, Mm -hmm. it means happy. That Mm -hmm. the eight characteristics of the Beatitudes is what a happy and holy person looks like. And I would have loved to have read this book that I just wrote out of the gates. Now, of course, I couldn't have wrote it because I'm not the person that I am today. (laughs) But nevertheless, Everybody, go buy the book. It's on Lifeway, 50% off. 50% off, people, June 2nd. You get get two for the price of one, 
four for the price of two, and all the proceeds <laughs> go to needy children. You just you keep going. Like, oh, <laughs> multiplication just just gets higher and higher. Well, Derwin, that, that leads right into our next question. And in you know, in the good life, you talk about the path to true happiness. And in our world right now, especially you know, COVID nineteen happening, there's just a lot of people wrestling with with joy and happiness, and just really what all that looks like. So, what advice would you share with young leaders who are trying to figure out? what true happiness looks like. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think that a lot of times the church is trying so hard to be relevant and practical um, that we've practically missed Jesus. And so oftentimes, even, even for most Christians, the majority of Christians, happiness is determined by something external and materialistic. I'm happy because I got this. I'm happy because I got this. I'm happy because this ha- happened. And what Jesus is inviting us into is his story. And in his story, happiness is not about what you're getting. Happiness is about who you're becoming. And that's the story of the Beatitudes is Jesus sits down over the Sea of Galilee His disciples and the rest of the Jewish audience are sitting and listening, and it's an invitation into this is what happiness looks like. The good life you have been created for is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are mourned, for they will be comforted. And he's describing how the God the Father wants to shape us like a potter in his clay into these happy, holy people. And when we look in the mirror, we see Jesus. That's what happiness is. Happiness, listen, and I know some of the the young leaders are going, man, one day, if I could just have a church of 1,000, I'll be happy. Listen, if you're not happy with Jesus alone, having a church of 100,000 will not make you happy. If you're not happy with Jesus knowing your name, you won't be happy with everybody knowing your name because Jesus knowing your name is enough. Jesus is your brand. Jesus is your platform. Jesus is your all in all. Pursue Jesus and pursue his kingdom, his love, not in your power, not in your strength, but in his grace and allow him to form you into who you were created to be. Wouldn't Wouldn't it be sad to live a life of effective ministry and to be brokenhearted at the end of it? Mm. That's convicting. Well, if if any of that resonated and you want to hear more, which I'm sure that you do, head on over to Lifeway. You can get it for 50% off. The Good Life uh, comes out June 2nd. So make sure to pre-order that while you can. It's, it's going to be an awesome book. And Derwin, thank you for writing it and sharing your heart in that. Let's move to the quick hitter questions here. So these are going to be short one-minute answers, and we're going to get started off with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So this is probably going to be pre-COVID. <laughs> what was your ideal daily routine? Uh, get up, have some coffee, talk to my wife, talk to my son, read and pray, get into the office, have some meetings, um, do some exercising, <laughs> and uh, sermon prep is thrown in there and interviews and all types of other stuff. But I would say my most important daily ri- 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 rhythms is coffee, prayer, scripture, family, Epsom salt bath. <laughs> That's a new one. We have not heard that one on here before. Epsom oh, salt man. Bath. Epsom, hey, an Epsom salt bath is good for your muscles. It's good for relaxing. 
And I do a lot of sermon prep in my Epsom salt baths. I do a lot of prayer in my Epsom salt baths. It's awesome. This is amazing. I'm going to remember this for a really long time. You know, when I'm later in ministry, if I'm ever a pastor somewhere at a church, I'm going to remember, you know what? Sermon prep, Epsom salt bath. I, I can't, I can't <laughs> hey, bro, like, like start now, man. It is so good for you. <laughs> Go ahead, start now. Okay. Uh, my next podcast will be uh, in an Epsom salt bath. I'm just just letting you know, Chandler. Um, uh, Derwin, what is your what's your favorite personality test? There's a lot of them floating around out there. Uh, but what is what is your favorite one? And then what are the results from that test? Like what personality type are you? Oh man, gosh, what's the what's the, what's the one with the INSJT and all that stuff? Myers Briggs. Yeah, um, I'm I'm kind of partial to the Myers Briggs because that really helped uh, my wife and I tremendously understand each other mm-hmm. and how we were wired. I really really enjoyed that one. Well, this next question, I feel like we may have already found out this answer, but what is an unusual <laughs> habit that helps you in your leadership? <laughs> an unusual habit? An unusual habit. Like something like Epsom salt baths or something like that. I don't know. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Epsom salt baths is an unusual habit. It's, it's good, but it's unusual. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and stay with Epsom salt bath because you guys find it unusual, but coming out of the world of football, that's normal. Yeah, and, uh, I just like continued it. That's good. I, I'm telling you, I'm going to try it. And I'll dude, you will love it. 25 mi- mi- minutes, just sit in there and just just boil like like soup. <laughs> <laughs> what is uh? What's your favorite application on your phone? Like, is there one that you use the most, or you find the most useful? Oh gosh, unfortunately, Twitter. I'm on my phone <laughs> too much. Twitter is your favorite. That's your, is that your favorite social media platform in general as well? Yeah, Twitter is, but I'm starting to get into IG as well. Yeah, I can't. I, uh, I, I can't do the the TikTok thing. That I just I'm not feeling <laughs> that. Oh man, T- yeah, I had to get TikTok off my phone. It was just a just a black hole. You just keep watching every video one after the other. You get lost in it. I watch most of your stuff on Instagram, so I'm excited that you're getting more back into that. Yeah, man. IG. Well, what has been the best book that you've read in the past six months? Oh, probably the biography of Paul by N.T. Wright. Hmm. That one's a pretty big one, right? That's a pretty big biography of his. Yep. It's uh it uh let me let me say this to the young leaders as as well. And I don't I don't mean this in any disrespect at all. Read theologians are pastors who think and write like theologians. Um, a lot of times, you know, write, read some weighty books, like read Conform to His Image by Ken Boa, read Scott McKnight, read N.T. Wright, uh, read some theologians, not necessarily um, thinner type books, like really make sure you're learning and listening to and watching sermons is great. And you can pick up some things, but hopefully it's for your own spiritual formation, but really wrestle with God for yourself and say, Lord, speak to me, teach me. Like we need more preaching that has depth. Uh, We need more preaching that is doctrinal and theological, but it doesn't have to be boring. Yeah, It doesn't have to be boring. 
Like theology and doctrine is not boring. Like the Holy Spirit wants to make it dance through us, but we've got to be willing to do the work, man. There, there are organizations that'll do your sermons for you. Mm. And so, man, there, there's, there's something about the craft and the studying. And so I read a lot of theologians, like I have my doctorate in New Testament. And so when you read The Good Life, I write in common language, but I take deep concepts and make them simple. And I think that's what genius is, is I hope hope to be, is to take things that are complex and make them simple, not simplistic, but simple, because that's where you can really draw the depth. Yeah, I was reading a book. It was called Smarter, Faster, Better. I, I believe this is the right book. And it was talking about how scientists, there's, there's scientists and academic scientists who will study one subject for so long, but their whole goal is to boil it down into a simple to understand. So taking a complex idea and putting it into simple terms that everyone could understand and yeah. hearing you say that, I love how you, you, you did kind of like the genius of taking theology and putting it into simple terms so people can understand. I, I do yeah. think we need to, and I greatly appreciate that because it, it's easy to sometimes uh, to read some some fluffy things, I would say, instead of getting into the roots and, and really wrestling with some of the, the doctrines of God and, and figuring out, you know, I've, I've, one of my pastors in the past, he said, you know, your spiritual formation is not f- really fully on the pastor. That's your relationship with God. I'm here to equip you to do so. So I, I greatly appreciate you saying that and saying, take the initiative in your own relationship with God to study the hard doctrines. Yes. And for the young leaders, preachers who are incredibly gifted, don't lean on your gift because after a few messages, you know, what makes people laugh and you know, it makes them cry. Don't lean on your gift, empower mm-hmm. your gift by actually having something to say, because there are great communicators. They just ain't saying nothing. Mm. So like you want to, like you want to have something to say and theology is the study of God. Like we want, we want people to leave our sermons and say, wow, I never knew Jesus was that great. Mm. Theology, theology should be exciting. You know, I took a expository preaching class last year sometime and one of the, the thing, one of the things I took away from it, like uh, that, I love so much, is that hey, you've probably seen a lot of expository preaching that's been boring, but it's not meant to be boring. It's meant to be Holy Spirit filled, exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, man, it's good. and and we can. I'm more concerned about. I'll take great content and average delivery over great delivery with below average content, oh, like. Like Amen. bore bore me with the gospel truth. I'm a grown <laughs> man. I don't need to be entertained like I'm at Disney World. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a quote. I can't remember what book it was in, but it was talking about. Um, this is back. I think it was in Spurgeon's time, and the, I think these Christians were going church to church and kind of, you know, listening to different pastors. And there was this quote where they left one incredible communicator, and they said, "Wow, that that." preacher did an incredible job. Um, and then they, I think they went to go listen to Spurgeon. And when they left, they said, wow, he made much of the name of Christ. And just the difference of saying, oh, that pastor did great versus I see a great God. And, and really that should be yeah. the way that we leave a sermon and hopefully we prep it as well. Yeah. Like people don't need spiritual Jimmy Fallon talks when they come to 
listen to, 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 to what's being preached is they need to hear about Christ. Mm. And uh, someone counted in a message that I said Jesus's name 71 times in a sermon. Wow. And I think, I think uh, people need to know about him and his greatness. Like he is the star of the story. That is some really, really good advice. And I'm gonna ask you for one more piece of advice. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Love Jesus more than you love ministry. Succinct yet profound. <laughs> that's, that's, that's convicting for sure. Well, Derwin, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And for those listening, thanks for tuning in today. We hope it's been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has, head on over to Instagram. Give us a follow. Say, hey, we'd love to hear from you. And other than that, have a good week. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Peace out.